sits on loud. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. I'm so grateful to be in this place on today. And I don't take it lightly. Amen. I thank God for the opportunity um, to come and minister God's word on today. And so I'm not going to be before you very long. I'm going to tag, tag Apostle in so that he can, um, you know, close us out on this morning. But I want to just give you my two cents on committed to commitment. Amen. And if you would turn with me, we're going to get right into the word on John the 8th chapter. John the 8th chapter. Amen. I believe that as we prepare ourselves to go into 2020, you got to keep a good momentum going. You can't, you know, wait until 2020 hit and then you start off. It, it doesn't work like that. If you know anything about marathon training and running a marathon, there's preparation, a preparation period before you actually get to the race, amen? And so I want you to be prepared that this is just preparation for what God will do in 2020. That's if you believe it, amen? But I don't want you to get into the place when January 1 hit, then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to walk in this. No, this is the time right now to start preparing for where God wants to take you in 2020. Amen. And it's not a cliche. It's, it's, this is how the believer should be. We should always be in expectation and ready to move to the next level when we're moving into another dispensation. Amen. See, we're leaving this one decade and we're moving into a new decade. Amen. And so I believe that as even the seasons change and the time changes even on the calendar, God does something supernaturally in the spirit and he changes us. Amen. But he only changes you if you're willing to be changed. Amen. And if you get into the flow of what God is doing. Amen. I like Bishop Paul that's more. He says, God, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. Amen. And I'm just believing. I'm decreeing and declaring, God, whatever you're doing in 2020, I don't want you to do it without me. So I'm yet in preparation of what God will do for 2020. Amen. And so my mind is being changed. And, you know, I'm doing different things. And I'm, I'm in expectation, great expectation. And I believe that even as we have just a couple of weeks left in 2019, God is well able. Amen. He's well able to do it. So we're talking about being committed to commitment. Amen. And how many know that the devil, the enemy, the flesh, hallelujah, tries to come and challenge us in our commitment. But I believe that if you get this word down on the inside of you for 2019, that you won't allow the accuser, you won't allow the devil, amen, to come in and snatch what God is doing, amen, for 2020, amen. So let's read God's word, John 8 chapter, John the 8th chapter, and I'm reading the NIV version. Very familiar scripture. 
It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. He was on his assignment. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Another virgin said, in the very act of adultery. Come on, how many know there's some perverted people in this land, amen? In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Come on, it's the cheap trick, hallelujah. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, what you, Jesus, what you gonna do? He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and, and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and lead your life of sin. I want to just ask you to just turn to your neighbor and say, put your rock down. Just put your rock down. Just put your rock down. Amen. Um, I love this. I love this story. And you know what always, I always think about when I read this story is two things. I always wonder, where was the man at? Why did they bring the man? They said she was caught in the very act. So you just, you know, snatched the woman off and left the man. Amen. But what really got me is that Jesus, when he came and the accusation and the accusers came, Jesus just responded by writing in the ground. It's like, Jesus, what you gonna do? Come on. But Jesus was smooth and he just writing in the ground. Now scholars will say all the time, some say that it was the law at that time when someone was caught in adultery, you bring the man and the woman and you begin to write the charges in the sand. But others say that um, it was a part of Jesus giving out a prophetic word that um, he said in Jeremiah that uh, when they would reject me, he's gonna write your name in the sand. But some say that when he was writing in the sand, he was writing all the accusers down and writing everything that they had done and that they saw it so they walked away, amen. But either way, Jesus stayed committed to what he was teaching and he was staying committed to his word. So here we find the accusers not only coming to get the woman, but they coming after Jesus. They coming after the word. I want to encourage you because the enemy comes to steal the word and to steal what you believe and to see if you're standing on what you say and what you've been preaching. Here Jesus has declared that he didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it. He came with another mission of grace and mercy. So they bring the woman in and say, so what you going to do? You going to preach this Jesus thing you've been preaching? This grace and mercy thing? Or you going to do what the law says? Well, Jesus went forward and he went about his business. He was doing what he was supposed to do. Amen. How committed to commitment are you when no one is watching? How committed are you to commitment when you don't have an audience? Amen. How committed to you are to commitment behind closed doors? See, commitment, and I think Apostle defined it, is dedication to a cause or an activity. Um, it's obligation that restricts freedom of action. So commitment restricts what this flesh wants to do because what I'm committed to is greater than what pleases my flesh. See, commitment looks like when I don't feel like going to Bible study, but I get up and go. Why? Because what I'm committed to is greater than me sitting on a couch watching my TV show. I'm going to get no help today. Amen. See, committed to commitment restricts how you act. It restricts how you speak and it restricts how you treat others. Amen. 
Why? Because you understand your commitment and what you're committed to is not just a local church body, amen, but you're committed to God, amen. So here the accusers come in and they're trying to catch this Jesus up. Not only were they lurking and looking and caught the woman in the very act, but they pulled that out and stood it in front of the church, in front of the, in the temple, amen, with her panties down, my God, amen. Exposed before everybody could see it. See, you have to understand what the accuser's job is. The accuser's job is to watch and try to catch you being disloyal to God or catch you in sin. Uh, when you think they're not watching, we said that in leadership, they're watching. When you think that it's okay, I'm going to tip on in this liquor store. I'm going on this side of town because I don't know nobody. That's the very... Sister, sister, Because the accuser, his assignment is to prove to God that they're not loyal. They don't believe you, God. Isn't that what he did to Job? He went in to help Job. He don't love you. Do this. about ourselves. You know we can put ourselves in some condemnation. We are negative thoughts. The way we think when we in sin, when we didn't miss the mark. Come on, that thing weighs heavy on us. The accuser's job is to slander us, to tear down our character, to catch us, oh God, when we're low, when we're in a weak and vulnerable place so that he can pounce on us and throw a stone. Those are stones of accusations, amen. Stones that say you never were going to be anything. Stones of negativity and stones of doubt. Amen. His job is to continually accuse us and throw stones. His ultimate mission is to kill us. Hallelujah. Well, I want to encourage you not to be like the woman who got caught in the very act. Amen. Who got caught and wasn't looking about, wasn't thinking about what the accuser might be doing. Amen. The real thing that I want you to think about is, who are you behind closed doors? And we said this before. I think that was Dr. Uh, Mike Freeman that said, who you are and who and how you operate behind closed doors is the real you. That's the real you. Um, if, if you slander your brother and you like to cuss and fight and you know beat up on your spouse and all that stuff, see that's you. That's the real you. That one that comes in the doors on, on Sunday or out in church, hey, God bless you, kissing you on the cheek, oh, I shut up, uh, all that, that's the counterfeit. Amen. Listen, tell your neighbor, leave a counterfeit at home, hallelujah. You gotta have, the real you is when no one is watching. And how you respond when you think no one is watching. That's the real you, amen. So if there's some stuff in you like this woman, the real woman, she was an adulterer. That was her. Amen. Lust, whatever. That was her. That was the real her. But here we see in the scripture, and I'm almost done, Apostle. I told you I'm not going to, you know, take up all the time. Amen. I'm going to leave you some time. Amen. But what I love about this scripture is how Jesus responded with the woman. Here we see Jesus She's in the most vulnerable place. She's been caught in sin. She's feeling shame and nasty. Amen. She didn't even have time to clean herself up. The stench of sin was still on her and they brought her in church. Amen. Anybody ever get out the bed and you know you was wrong, but you still found your way in the temple. Amen. As soon as you hit the door, you like, ouch, condemnation. And all kind of things began to go on you. Amen. I tell you, I'm going to do a sad by I never forget when I was just young in the ministry. Amen. Just coming up. I was still in college and this was our first ministry. And you know, you was just getting to know the Lord. Amen. I got to put all these disclaimers out. Amen. <laughs> but the pastor gave me an assignment to speak a word on Bible study. But I went and seen my boyfriend before Bible study. Y'all pray for the apostle, amen. He went all the way saved then, John. He went all the way saved. So he messed me up, amen. You know, all kind of stuff, amen. You 
know, read between the lines, amen. So when I got to the church, I pulled the pastor to the side. I said, listen here, I'm not gonna be able to speak. She didn't say anything, she just kept moving, right? And then she said, um, come on, Sister Denise, come on up, you gotta speak. I said, I told her. And all my condemnation and guilt and shame and sin. And I said, listen, I can't preach today. I, I'm not ready. I, I can't do it. And I'm sorry. And she let me out. But I thank God that I didn't go forth and try to preach something that I wouldn't live. Now, look, that might not mean nothing to you. But where God was taking me, it was important that I didn't get caught up right there because I had a platform and then behind closed doors I would live something totally different and dirty. See, my assignment was to draw him into Christ. So if he see me when you can just hey, play Patty Cake Baker's man with me and you can still come up here and preach this thing, then what is this gospel that you preaching to me? What is this And all my shame, and look, she was a prophetess, so she knew. She said, uh-huh, this is fornicating spirit here. <laughs> then this joker come to church, and she said, he don't know how to keep secrets. Him coming to church, you know, kissing and telling. And he'll say, um, minister, are you in fornication? Yes. <laughs> But you know what it did? That's our commitment. That's how God began to deal with us, to build our commitment. Why? Because what we were pledging and committed to, it was causing us to, ooh, get this flesh under subjection, amen? To get in line with some things. See, it may be some things that you got and wants to you to commit to, but he needs you to get some things in line within yourself Know, lust or perversion. You must you might just have a nasty disposition, just a, a disposition, just a nasty attitude. And God said, Look, I want you to go out and witness to some people, but your attitude sucks. Amen. You can't win people nasty. But here we see Jesus, and I'm getting ready to close. He responds to the woman with compassion and forgiveness. I want to encourage you that even if you feel trapped in some nasty, dirty sin, God will yet respond to you in compassion and forgiveness. Amen. This thing came alive in my life. Amen. Is my daughter up here? Oh, there she go. She's so beautiful. I'm she look at she looking at me like don't say nothing about me. <laughs> Girl, you it's my favorite daughter. <laughs> Amen. But you know what I love is I, you know, we're walking this thing out. This stuff that you see, I'm walking it out before you. This this changing, uh, responding with compassion and forgiveness. And the Lord had to convict me because um my daughter told me, she said, you just be looking at me like um, with disgust. And I said, ooh, that thing hit me like, ooh. I said, Jesus. And I said, why would she say that? And that's my favorite daughter. And I love her, right? But the Lord dealt with me on that. And I told her, I said, it's not disgust, but it's disappointment. And I said, so, you know, when she come in, I'm like, Kyla, why you leave the bathroom so nasty? Didn't I tell you to clean up the bathroom? Why your room look like this? Why you do the, Kyla, why you do the, just fussing, 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 right? And so, I got before the God after that, because that hit like, boom. I was like, dang. I said, so God, let me go in and get before you to see if that thing is in my heart and see what's in there. 
And so I, I got before God and I started praying. And the Lord, I told you a, a couple of weeks ago, the Lord had me just taking a child, and this was during Bible study, I was just taking one of my children, just praying the whole week with him, and take another one, just pray the whole week with him. And so I was praying the whole week for Kyla, and God was doing some things. I was like, thank you, Jesus. So I went on to the next child. But then God said, I need you to go back and pray some more. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to start praying again. And God said, I need you to change your strategy. I need you to change how you respond. He said, you keep going in. And he said, I need you to respond with compassion and forgiveness. And I said, okay, God. So then when she come in, I just said, hey, girl, give me a hug. You know, I don't care what you've been in. Come on, hey, give me a hug. I said, give me a hand. Let us pray. Father, we thank you right now, God, that she will be the woman of God that you called her to be, God. That you're breaking up relationships that don't mean her any good, Father. And that you're making a holy before you, oh God. And so then I told my husband, I said, you know what? I got to get nasty in this thing. I said, I need to really be praying. And I was sharing it with Debbie and Mom, Debbie and Glenn. I said, I really need to pray. God, even if they try to get in the bed with somebody, I pray that their partner won't get aggression, oh God. That you would close that whole act down, Jesus. Presence. 
I'm going to be real quick, amen. If you got your Bibles, uh, go to Ruth. Go to Ruth. If you have your Bibles, go to Ruth. We go in the Old Testament. Amen. Um, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a lot, but I want to read a little bit. It'll be about 15 minutes and we're going to be good. We're going to move forward. Amen. Amen. That was awesome, Pastor Benice. Amen. Awesome word. Awesome word. I, I love uh, Dr. R.A. Vernon. And, and next year, I pray that uh, I'm actually going to. Asking God to give me wisdom. I want to teach a class to ministers and those who actually preach the gospel about ministering the word. Because Dr. Ari Bunny talked about how you have to learn how to turn a text, not to compromise a text, to turn a text, not to change the meaning of a text, but to turn a text. And what he means by that is that when we turn a text, that means that you can take a text, you can take a particular passage of scripture. And you can turn it to a place where it becomes relevant to the audience of yeah. who is in this particular time space. That you take it from, you know, that particular age and that particular Old Testament. And you bring it where it has some relevancy so that you can be able to understand it. And it becomes alive to you and where you are in your walk. Amen. Yeah. And so you have to know how to relay that message so that it becomes relatable. Amen. Yeah. And so she turned that text, amen, and made it fit into the area of how committed are you to commitment, amen? Now, here we're going to talk about Ruth, and here it is. When we talk about Ruth and Naomi and all these various things, but I really want to focus a little bit on today on Naomi. But they're both in a position to be committed to their assignment. And because they're committed to their assignment, we see some things birthed in their life. We see some things change in their life. We see some things happen in their life. And we see God put them in places and areas that if they had not been committed, they would not have moved into those particular areas. They would have not received the blessings that God would have for them. Because they were committed, because they stayed connected to God, God was able to bless them. Now, let's start reading Ruth chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Amalek. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from, from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So they're in transition. They had to move on. There was a famine. They went to live in Moab. Then here it is, the husband and wife and their two sons. So now verse 3, now Emelet, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. So now she is not a true widow because she has children. And so now her two sons come in and step in to sustain her and to take care of her and to provide for her. So now let's continue reading verse 4. It says, they married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about, what, 10 years, both Milan and Kilion had also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So now she has lost her husband. Ten years later, they're still in the land of Moab because now her sons have built relationships and they've gotten married. And so now there's actually, I'm, I don't know if, if this family was still going on in Judah, but time has elapsed. And when you start building up things in another place, it's hard to go back. So they had made commitments in the land of Moab where her sons had gotten married and they took on wives of the Moabites. But after 10 years, it says that they were killed. It does not say how they were killed. And so now Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So now Naomi is in a place of distress. <clears throat> Naomi is in a place where all the men that are in her life are now gone. She's lost her husband and she's lost her two sons. And so yet still, now in verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to aid to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. They decided we're going back to Judah. He said with, with her two daughters-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take her back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now, I, I love Naomi because she's committed to the place of understanding and knowing that she's not going to remarry. But she is not selfish enough to realize and know that her daughter-in-laws, they're still young and they still have life in them. And so she's encouraging them to stay here and find you a new husband. He said, may the Lord grant 
each of you to find rest at home in of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and she wept aloud and said to, and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return at home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husband? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. I love because Naomi is wise enough and she's committed enough to understand that you know what? I don't have a desire for another husband because no one else can take Amalek's place. No one else can love me like him. At some point in time you need to realize you can't keep going to the club when you're 65. At some point you need to shake yourself and loose yourself and realize that I have extended the age bracket and the age time in order for me to still live like I'm still young and I can still turn up like I used to. So I love Naomi's wisdom and her particular character where she said, listen, I'm too old, baby. I don't want another husband. I'm going to live my life and live my best days as my rest day. So she says, Listen, even if I thought there was still hope for me, yes. even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to son, she said, wait a minute, if I even got a little frisky tonight and God sent me a husband, she said, would you wait until they grew up? She said, would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now, notice this. When we're in grief, we speak out of emotions. Yes, How many of us have been in that place and we asking God, God, why am I in this? God, why am I dealing with this? And, you know, because we've had tragedy, we've had some calamity that's happened in our life. And so she said, I'm bitter now. God has, he has a bitter turn towards me because she's speaking out of her emotions because I've just lost my husband 10 years ago and then now I've lost my son. And so I'm, I'm kind of in a hard place. And, and, we, and I think somebody brought that up last night. I think Deacon Ryan said, he said, can sometimes you can just have a bad day? That you can't hold a bad day To make it like it's always That this is who I am I had a bad day Give me some grace So in verse 14 At this they wept aloud again Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law Goodbye But Ruth clung to her Now Orpha said Look I'm going to say goodbye Because you gave me instructions to leave But Ruth said I'm going to cling to Naomi Because there's something That God has to get Out of both of their lives Because here it is, God's trying to move the lineage of Jesus out of Ruth and Naomi. Because Ruth verse Obed, who is Jesse's, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. So you gotta understand, God has a plan if you stay committed to the commitment. But see, if they would have given up prematurely, and so if Naomi wouldn't have took the instruction of God leading her to say, go back to Judah, she would have missed God if she would have stayed in Moab. She had to get up, even though she's old, even though she's up in age. She said, I'm going back to the place because God has now sent, and the famine is over, and he's not providing aid and food there, so now I can go back now because I need to find out what God has for me next. But Ruth says, I'm going to cling to you, Naomi. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or, turn, or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. See, when you make God really your God, just as Pastor Venetia was sharing, when you really make a commitment to God, There'll be some people that'll come and come around you and say, you know what? I want to be in, in line. I want to be in relationship with you because you got a godly relationship. And I see how God is moving in your life. I see how God is changing your life. I see how God has delivered you and made you new. He said, I want to be around that. But see, a lot of times we're not living a godly life outside of Sunday. That's what she said. We got to live like God Monday through Saturday. We got to live like God every day so that people be drawn and say, you know what? I want to be connected to you. She said, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging. So Naomi, she gave her, she said, look, Ruth, you're really serious about sticking with me. You're really serious about being committed to me and staying connected to me. So she said she stopped urging her. She said, okay, this is your decision. This is what you make. You've grown. You can make the choice. Come on, roll with me. Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? She's been gone so long. She's aged. 
Things have changed. She left with Amalekat, her husband. But now she's coming back with this other lady. I don't know who she is. And then verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Because I told you, she's still in emotional distress. She's in a place where she's hurting and she feels as though God has brought this calamity upon her because she's lost everything in Moab. I went to Moab to actually get provision, but when I got to Moab, I lost everything that I thought God was going to provide for me. I went there to eat in the natural, but I lost everything that was connected to me in my life. I lost my husband. I lost my daughter. So when you lose some things, are you still going to stay connected to God? When God makes a way to try to take some stuff away from you that you thought was going to, you actually thought you needed in order to survive, God said if you would trust in him and depend on him and rely on him. I know you've been in a relationship with that joke for 12 years and he still ain't proposed to you and he's still calling you just his friend. Baby, when are you going to step up to even Beyonce? When are you going to move up to the what is your status, baby? What are they calling you? And so she said, my name is no longer Naomi because I'm bitter. I'm Myra. Oh, what name are you wearing? 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 What have you committed to? So she says, listen, I'm at this place. And they said, she said, I went away full. I told you, verse 21. She said, I went away full. I, had, I went away full when I left it. I had some stuff. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, she thought she's been brought back empty because her husband and sons are gone. See, you can't put all your faith in people and what they do for you that you don't want to live on after they go. So you got to have a personal relationship with God so that you can have the strength to bear when some people step out and leave you and say, baby, I'm no longer committed to you. I got other plans. I got other things I need to do. So who are you committed to? Because if somebody leaves, that means that you leaving too. He said, why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So now, Let's speed it up and we're going to paraphrase the rest of this. So they, she, she gets to the place and Ruth makes the decision to say, we got to go out. We got to eat, honey. We got to survive. She said, Naomi, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to glean in the fields. And she went out and gleaned in the fields. Come to turn out, she goes and finds a field of Boaz and Boaz is connected to Naomi's bloodline through her husband. And so now Boaz becomes the next person that can be able to take the place of marrying uh, uh, Ruth because of her husband has died yes. in order to keep the lineage and the bloodline flowing in the right way and what God wants to do and what God has orchestrated according to the law. And so now Naomi and remember, Ruth goes and she does her assignment. She's going out in the field and she's gleaning and Boaz takes notice of her. He said, who is this girl out here? He asked his workers and they told him who she was. And so now she gave preferential treatment. And he protected her and told her to glean from these fields and, 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 and hang out with these women and do these various things. And so then she came back home that night and then she told Naomi all what had went down. She said, do you know who field you were in? She said, you were in Boaz's field. And this can be the one that he can be your husband. He can be the one that can take you on and and, and, and take you to live the rest of your life in your best days. So I know you're in a place of distress because you lost your husband, but at some point, when you gonna get up and live for you again? See, see, see some people still connected to their ex. And you wonder why God can't bring in your best and your next. So, and, 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 and so Naomi was trying to encourage Ruth that you need somebody that's going to help you and you need a relationship and you need some legacy to be able to live beyond you. So she encouraged and gave, gave uh, Ruth instruction. I love Naomi because she had wisdom and she began to share that wisdom to give Ruth instruction on how to go after Boaz. She was committed in such a way she understood how to operate in character, how to operate in class, how to operate as a virtuous woman. So she gave, gave Ruth the instructions. 
And as a result, here it is. It all fast forward all this stuff. Things begin to happen. Boaz begin to take notice after she had came and got his attention. And now they begin to plan this particular thing and say, well, there's somebody else that can actually have you. And now if they come forth and they don't want you, then Boaz, he'll take you. Boaz had character because he wasn't going to step over the next person that was in line in order that had an opportunity to take root as his particular wife. So Boaz had character, he had honor, he had integrity. And so Naomi has been committed, and Ruth has been committed. Because they connected and been committed to the assignment, now they're both going to receive a blessing. And the Bible says that they go forth, and now they make the transaction, and here it is, he buys the property because he got to have some money to be able to have the things that's going to be able to keep and bring Ruth in and have the lineage of Amalek, her husband, her husband that's dead. And so now he makes the transaction, and they get married. And then, once they got married, now, not only does Ruth have provision, but Naomi has provision. And so they're provided for, and then it says that, the Bible says that what Ruth and Boaz had said is better than seven sons to you, Naomi. But if they hadn't stayed committed to God's plan, they would have missed out on meeting Boaz and meeting someone. See, if you would have stayed in Moab, you would have missed God's plan because some of us stay where the grave is at. Because some of us want to be close enough to go and visit periodically where it's died. But you got to have enough courage and enough boldness and more for stay. But Ruth said, I'm going with you, Naomi, because everything that's here that belonged to me is dead. And so I had to build up enough courage away from those things that are killing you and get around things that's going to encourage you and build you up. Things that's going to give you life. Things that's going to give you strength. You can't keep hanging around negative-minded people. You can't keep hanging around folks that's going to tell you God ain't going to do all that. God ain't got that kind of power. God can't bless you like that. God can't do that. Well, what God do you serve? Because I serve an almighty God. I know a God that parted the Red Sea. I know a God that forgave the woman that was caught in adultery. I know a God that opened blind eyes. I know a God that opened deaf ears. I know a God that made the lame walk. What God are you serving? I know a God that saved me from my sin. I know a God that delivered me. And then we begin to understand the power of God, he can take your situation, turn that thing around, but you got to stay committed to God. So now, Boaz goes into Ruth and she conceives Oh my God. And she has a son. <laughs> she has a son. And she bursts out. Oh, Obed. Now, Obed becomes the father of Jesse. And Jesse is David's daddy. Yeah. 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 So if Ruth and Naomi don't stay committed to the plan of God, we miss out on the glory and the favor and the anointing and the grace that God had on the bloodline. And see, I'm trying to get you to a place to commit to God so that he can break those bloodline generational curses that's been trying to attack you, that's been trying to hold on to you, that's been trying to pull you back into the old place, pull you back into what grandmama used to do, what your great uncles used to be, what your auntie used to do. You need to begin to change that same, change that atmosphere, change that mindset, get connected with some things that's going to bless your life, get connected with some people that's going to encourage you, that's going to help lift you up out of a dry place. I don't need to be around dry folk and I'm in a dry place. I'm in a wilderness experience. Get around somebody that's in the place of an overflow. Get around a place where the water, the living water is flowing. You can't hang around me and your attitude is all jacked up and your mindset is jacked up. We out here walking around the grave talking about I wish he would get up. Baby, that thing is dead. He ain't coming back. You need a new man, a new woman. You need to change your attitude, change your phone number, change your Facebook page, change your Instagram, change some stuff. Delete, oh, delete, delete, delete.
I really stay committed to the plan of God, God will bring me to my place of victory. He'll bring me to my place of overflow. So I can't give up prematurely. And I can't get, dis get discouraged by what I've already been through. So you can't keep worrying about what you've been through. You can't keep crying in that. You can't be crying in what already has been. Because if you're still here, that means you made it. If it was to kill you, you would have died. But you're still here. So that means, God, you got a plan for me. That thing didn't kill me, I'm still here. God, you got a purpose for me. Naomi didn't die. Ruth didn't die. They got a place to come back to Judah. Come back. Some people, we need to come back to God. If we truly come back to God, we'll see God moving our life. Ruth made a commitment to Naomi. Naomi made a commitment to Ruth. And because they stayed committed to God, God showed them a new plan. Gave them a new strategy. Gave them a new hope. A new joy. Why? Because I'm committed to God. I know it gets hard sometimes. I know it gets frustrating. I know it gets weary. I, I, I'm telling you, but what's so amazing to me about God? Now, if you really don't love God, don't act like it. Because you got to love God. In the little stuff. So all week, when Pastor Lisa just shared, we've both been praying for our children. And then to see the manifestations that God will answer the prayers and begin to expose some things as we've been praying and interceding. Because you got to change your strategy. And I thank God because then on yesterday kind of began to share some things with me that she normally wouldn't have shared with me, but God was, was, was pulling at our heart. But what, what, what was happening was the prayer that had went up was just manifesting in her life. And she said, open up. And I took the right attitude. I didn't get all, I didn't get all upset with it like a woman and I said, okay, we're going to go upstairs and talk. Josh and I said, let's go upstairs and talk. Let's have a conversation. I said, because I'm not going to miss this opportunity for you to open up to me. Amen. And God had to give me wisdom. And I sat there with patience and I heard her. And I didn't just rebuke her and, and tell her what she should have, would have, could have, would have. I said, okay, we can work through that. Amen. I said, this ain't the end. We can work through that. Because just like Naomi had lost her husband, had lost her two sons, she said, if I get back to Judah, I can work through that. If I get back to my place where praise is at, if I get back to my place where my blessing is at, if I get back to the place of knowing where God is at, then I can get over this situation. So I want to give God the glory for hearing my prayer. Now, what I'm about to say, guys, is going to be real. It's going to be real and off. It's going to, be, it's going to be sound real soon. But I want to tell you how concerned God is for us. Like he got a greedy spirit. <laughs> now I take heed to the word of people. And, I, and, I, and the pastor needs to remind me of the word. When Elder said, Watch your words, watch your words. Watch your words. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but I, I took. See, it's the small stuff that you got to get thanks for. That God will tell you, and you got to watch God in those small stuff. This thing was so funny to me. It's funny. It's literally, you don't laugh because it's, it's real stupid, but. It's God. Amen. I was in my stop Friday. And in this particular stop, they have a restaurant in there. They cook food and you know sell food out, but it's still a convenience store and everything. And so um, it was late in the afternoon. I got there late. So it was in the afternoon. And I was thinking to myself, they fried chicken and all this stuff. I said, you know what? I might have to make me a, make me a meal today. I said, I might eat some chicken out here today or something. And so I said, I need a little snack. I said, I'm not going to ask them for, you know, cook me something. That ain't no problem. They, they, they'll cook it for me, do whatever. They cool people. I, they, they take care of me. So I'm sitting there thinking this. I'm working. I'm saying, you know what? I ain't going to do nothing. I'm, I'm good. I ain't going to ask for nothing. One of the workers who works there, he fixed him a plate of wings, lemon pepper on it. He got him, got him some bread. He's back there. He's he, he out there sitting up there eating. And he pulled a wing off his plate and gave it to me. I said, God, you are amazing. I didn't have to open my mouth to ask, but the very thought you came and fulfilled my needs that I was asking for. See, you, you, you're thinking that's crazy, but I'm telling you that's what happened. I thought about asking them to make me something to eat, but I didn't have to 